But uh, we're going to look at faith this, morning, this evening, and um, there's uh, layers to faith, and uh, I didn't, uh, I guess I fully comprehended that until I started really studying it this week, and uh, for a few casual examples of faith, uh, each of you came this evening because you had faith that somebody was going to bring the word here, and uh, most of us bought Christmas presents because we had faith that people were going to show up and receive our gifts. When we send a, a check off in the mail to pay a bill, we got faith that the post office is going to deliver it for us. <clears throat> these are all things that we have faith in because we've seen these things happen in our life. Um, so we, we have uh, faith anticipating these things will continue to happen. And this uh, very church is named Faith. I tried to look up a little history on this, and I know this Church was started over in North Little Rock and uh, moved here, but uh, I didn't uh, see any, uh, anything that told me why, why the church was named Faith, but I feel like it's probably got something to do with uh, you can't be saved without it. You know, we can be saved without a lot of things, but faith's not one of them. So uh, <clears throat> one of the first examples I want to give uh, is in Genesis 15 when God formed a covenant with Abraham. Um, I hope everybody knows the story of Ishmael and uh, Sarah and um, Abraham and uh, their plan to, to help God uh, bring a child into the world, and uh, God didn't need their help, and uh, Ishmael was not the one that, uh, that God had promised, but it was Isaac that, uh, that was the promised son, and uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Sarah, who was 90, and Abraham, who was 100, uh, laughed whenever God told them they would bring a child into the to the world at their age, and uh, but it did happen. Uh, and uh, even after they failed the first test by having uh, Ishmael as a child, uh, God tested them again in Genesis 22:2 uh, when He told Abraham to take now your own son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. Now, I can honestly tell you, if, uh, if, if I got a feeling that God was telling me to take my son and offer him, uh, I, I think I would probably go to Little Rock and check myself into a mental institution. I don't, uh, I don't know that uh, I, I would have that kind of faith, but... Uh, Abraham had learned his lesson the first time he didn't believe God. And uh, so he did exactly what God had told him. And understand, by this time, Isaac was 37 years old. Between 36 and 37 years old is what I've, what I've read. And uh, he even asked his father, where, where, where are we going? And, you know, Moses, or excuse me, Abraham said we're going to make a sacrifice to God. Well, they have a sacrifice, but... Little did he know that he was a sacrifice, and just as uh, they got there, Abraham uh, built the altar, he set the wood out uh, for the fire, then he bound his son and raised the knife to slay him, and just as he did, God instructed him to stop. Uh, I think this is what I'd call unwavering faith that Abraham had. Uh, he knew God had instructed him to do it. And if God told him to do it, there wasn't going to be a mistake happen that day. So uh, God was going to make sure that that was taken care of. So 
we assume that uh, faith has always been and uh, its meaning has, but the word faith didn't come into existence until the 1200s. Uh, and the 336 to 458 current uses of the word faith in the Bible, depending on what version you have, uh, are all translations that replace the original text. Deuteronomy 32.20 is an example of that. Uh, in the song that Moses had written in his final days, Moses writes, uh, The Lord says, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are perverse, a perverse uh, generation, children in whom is no faith. In the Hebrew text, what Moses actually says here is children in whom there is no trusting, uh, describing the, uh, those led from the promised land, or led to the promised land, which they wandered for 40 years. If you would turn with me to uh, John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This faith translated from the original Greeks points to assurance in the doctrine of Christ. <clears throat> and I want to point out a couple of uh, examples of faith. Uh, the first example of faith is uh, Jesus and the abilities he had while he was on this earth. And I'm going to give you a short history of, uh, to set the scene here. Uh, in 42 B.C., after the murder of Julius Caesar... The Romans chose to deify him, which means they de declared him to be a god. Then his son Octavius took the throne and declared himself to be the son of God, as did all Caesars who followed. All members of the Roman army were required to hail Caesar as Lord. <clears throat> a centurion commander, which was a uh, commander over 100 men, was paid about 15 times the normal salary of a uh, soldier, and they were not permitted to marry uh, while they were in the service, and their life was filled with continual conflict. Uh, there are a few verses that mention centurion's faith in Christ. And I want you to understand, whenever I say this, that uh, the faith in Jesus would be direct opposition to Caesar. And opposition to Caesar not only uh, would do away with their, uh, <clears throat> their wages, but uh, it could do away with their very lives. <clears throat> and I want you to also realize these centurions in no way attempted to hide their faith in Christ. They didn't hide it at all. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 8, 5 through 10. <clears throat> And I want you to realize also that uh, men of power generally aren't uh, humble men. They're uh, usually very proud men and uh, not humble in any way. In Mark 8, 5 through 10, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, 
and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such faith, not even in Israel. Finally, in verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So the centurion obviously had some knowledge of Christ. And uh, he had heard of uh, s- some words he said and, and saw some works because uh, they were uh, in the city, uh, protecting the city. And Jesus had already, he had already had faith in Jesus by the time he asked to restore his servants. He didn't come in there because he didn't believe. He came in there because he did. And uh, he knew that his servant didn't have to be present for Jesus to heal him. I don't know how he knew that, but he knew that Jesus could heal him without him being present. The second example of faith is based on the things the centurion in charge of Jesus' trial did, as well as crucifixion. Uh, he was in charge of his trial, uh, trial and the crucifixion. Uh, he was a witness of. In Mark uh, 15, 33 through 34, Now when the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then in verse 37 through 39, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last breath. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew 27, 51 says... The earth quaked, rocks split apart, and graves were opened. So when the centurion who who stood opposite to him saw, he cried, cried out like he cried out this and breathed his last breath, and he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. So this statement implies that he had previous knowledge of Jesus. He didn't just see Jesus die there on the cross and understood all, all that he. He said here, because in Matthew 26, 63 through 64, uh, Jesus is questioned and put under oath by the high priest and says, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. And then in 65 and 66, the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he's deserving of death. So this centurion had been witness to this, and he understood exactly who Jesus was whenever Jesus died on the cross. And as I studied this week, I, I thought a lot about faith, and, and uh, I began to realize that there's, there's more than one layer to faith. There's uh, saving faith, uh, when you believe in the Son of God, uh, which is the only man to live a perfect life and that he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Uh, That moment that you believe on Jesus for salvation, he supplies you with grace, the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternity with God the Father. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And with the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then there's a faithfulness to God's calling. 
which you're essentially uh, given a blank contract. You're turning over a blank contract whenever you're, you're saved and you believe on Christ because you don't know how God's going to use you in your life. You really don't. Nobody does. Uh, God, uh, God can lead you to do things that there's no way you could do on your own. And uh, <clears throat> this could be a, a missionary uh, that might be going to a foreign land to do God's work, and, or uh, anybody in this church here in Cabot could be led to do anything that God might see fit for him to do. Uh, after Paul's salvation in Acts 9 through 19, It says, so he had received food, he was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he was the Son of God. I've been preaching now for three years, and I don't know that I could have, could have went out and preached a message after days with the disciples. And, uh, of course, I know that uh, Paul uh, was very well studied in the uh, Old Testament and... Uh, he, he had a lot of knowledge already. <clears throat> There's a faithfulness to the study of God's Word, uh, which we uh, use as an understanding of exactly what God desires of us. A scripture that we all know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Each day that we wake up and we get out of our bed and we walk out the door, we have the opportunity to live a life that is faithful and that reflects Christ. Uh, James says in uh, James 2, 17 through 24, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God you do well. Even the de demons believe and tremble. But you do not want to know, O foolish man, that, with, that faith without works is dead. Was Abraham our father justified by works when he ordered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect, and Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that the man is justified by works and not by faith only. <clears throat> if faith produces works, what do you have to lay in front of God each and every day that you, that you walk out the door and you come back home? What, what do you lay in front of God? I, I struggle with that sometimes. And uh, I think it's our job every time we walk out of the house to reflect Christ and uh, we always have to be uh, conscious of where we are and who's around us and how we act. But it's really easy, and I've done it a lot uh, in my life, to, to think that you've cut, cut God off of the past and that you're going to take control of your own life and, and do the things that, uh, that you think need to, to be done. But if you're a Christian, it's not wise to think you're in control because God has the ability to stop you at any moment. And He will. Uh, God knows our actions and our thoughts before we even do them. He's seen our end before we ever were born. Uh, so he's never surprised. As Christians, the Holy Spirit provides us with a choice. And that choice 
is to do the things, spiritual things, or to do the things, the works of evil. And we know whenever we're, we're provided with that choice that uh, <clears throat> what choice we should make, but our fleshly, uh, fleshly desire sometimes get in the way of those uh, spiritual choices and uh, <clears throat> the guilt and regret seems to happen almost immediately after we make the wrong choice. I don't think we fully realize what we've done until we... Uh, have made the wrong choice. <clears throat> I believe that a long, long, for a long time that uh, I was a hypocrite if I sat over in that pew every Sunday and, and uh, acted like I was holy, but I lived a life that wasn't holy Monday through Saturday. And uh, that was uh, wrong thinking on my part. Uh, if I was struggling in, in any way in my life, uh, church is exactly where I needed to be, but I was avoiding church at that time, and uh, that's definitely uh, the, wrong, the wrong way of thinking. <clears throat> you can't believe in yourself for forgiveness. Uh, we have never or will never uh, be righteous enough to stand before God and give any account that be worthy of heaven. And God knew that, so He sent His Son to be the sacrifice for sin because we never could. So, so he sent Jesus as a perfect sacrifice and gave us the ability to call on him to save us from everlasting torment. Uh, he sacrificed what only he could as we were redeemed by the blood of Christ. If your church truly preaches the word of God as ours does, we need to be here every time the doors open. I know we, we sometimes we make the decision to miss on Wednesdays, but we, we try to be here on Wednesdays. And, uh, but uh, I need that reassurance every week. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to be without that. Uh, we definitely don't need to be avoiding church. Um, it doesn't take very long for my mind to get off path. I mean, it... it uh, just over our Christmas break, you know, we were uh, out of school, and I wasn't in the Word every single day. I traveled to Louisiana time, you know, several times, and before long, you start thinking, "Man, this life is getting tough," you know. And uh, but if we'll just focus on God each and every day and give God the proper place in our life, we won't uh, fall into that trap. <clears throat> if you call on Jesus to supply you with the courage to turn from sin that you may be facing and attend church so you focus on what God wants in your life, it's much easier to follow the path that God sets before us. And now that I've uh, probably got a thimble full of Christian knowledge, I found myself last week as uh, Jason preached his last word, uh, nitpicking what he said, and uh, he said, uh, he made the statement, uh, Jesus found joy on the cross. And I understand the point he was making. I, I did understand it. Uh, but I'm, I found myself consumed with the fact that there was no joy found on the cross. Uh, but without the cross, no joy is found, period. And uh, like I said, I'm nitpicking somebody. And he was exactly right. You know, there is no joy without the cross. Jason's one of the best people that I've, that I've met since I've been in Cabot. He's been 
uplifting since the moment we walked through the door, I don't know how many years ago. And uh, his family, I've had his son in Sunday school for two years. He's very, very knowledgeable about Scripture. And uh, there's, there's nothing negative I can say about Jason and his family. But I, I just found myself in that moment wondering, wondering why he made that statement. And sometimes I'm not as quick as everybody else. But uh, <laughs> as I think over my Christian uh, life, Time and time again, uh, I see where I had the choice to do the right thing and chose not to do it. And there's places in my life right now that I know I need to change because I'm more aware of Scripture and what Scripture says. You can have faith in Christ and yet be unfaithful in your Christian walk. When was the last time you went to bed and, and thought to yourself, I'm proud of what I've accomplished as a Christian today. Those days are, uh, I always think that I could have done more. Every time that I, that I pray at night, I think, well, I, I could, have, could have made a better day out of today, and I could have done more. But <clears throat> we have to consider whether or not we're fitting our schedule around God or God around our schedule, because there's a big difference in that. And God's supposed to be first above everything else. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we can't always, uh, you know, we have faith in Christ because we can't see Him. Just as uh, He, uh, think about what He told Thomas, you know, you believe because you saw, but uh, others believe without seeing. Uh, I pointed out just a few levels of faith tonight. We spoke of faithfulness of God's Word, which was a lesson uh, both Abraham and Sarah came to understand. We looked at a lack of faith by the Israelites as they doubted and failed to trust God time and time again. We can see that our faith and assurance of Christ overcomes the world in 1 John. Matthew 8, the centurion, had faith in Christ, that Christ could heal his servant. Matthew 15, the centurion's faith based on the things that he witnessed in the trial and the, the crucifixion of Christ. <clears throat> and whether our faith is in Christ for salvation, uh, being a faithful student of the Word, faithful to God's calling, or faithful, faithfully reflecting Christ to others. The simple fact is, without faith in Christ, we are fallen creatures that definitely do not deserve the sacrifice that Jesus gave willingly. But if you put your faith in Christ for salvation, and you're faithful to Him for what He's done for you, you should be proud to show others what being a Christian is, is about. If you've not made the decision this evening to follow Christ, I would love to further explain that to you, and I can do so uh, uh, here tonight. I'm going to pray for us, and if you have any questions or, or need any prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you'll bow with me.